Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. I'm Erica Wides, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. I am Laura Stanley and today I'm taking the show on its first visit to Arizona to Chandler Unified School District uh, serving 47,000 students in a suburban area just southeast of Phoenix. Um, Intel and other high-tech manufacturers have a strong presence in Chandler, which contributes to a robust economy and um, a comfortable average family income. Chandler Unified has a, a relatively low free and reduced rate, just 28%, and it includes some schools where that rate is just 3%. So in in other words, democratically, uh, I'm sorry, demographically, it, it fits the mold of districts all over the country that are struggling mightily to keep paying students in the USDA school lunch and breakfast programs. But in Chandler's case, struggling would be the wrong word. Um, Working really hard is more like it, and working really mindfully. Um, And what we're going to hear about today is the district's efforts to generate excitement and trust in two related areas. Uh, First, shaping the dining experience to make it more inviting. In other words, you know, more like a restaurant and less like a school. Um, And second, an approach to marketing that is also a lot like what you'd expect from a progressive quick service chain like Chipotle or Panera. Um, And if you're thinking this sounds a lot like the San Francisco future dining experience that we talked about on our June 15th episode, you are right. Uh, Today's guest is a devotee of that work, um, and he is Wesley Delbridge, and he is a registered dietitian and the food and nutrition director uh, for Chandler Unified. Wes, welcome to Inside School Food. Good morning, Laura. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Um, what else should we know about Chandler before launching into the work you're doing? Well, I mean, we're relatively, uh, I would say, a new community where we've grown significantly over the last 10, 15 years, building um, almost 15 new schools in mm-hmm. the last 15 years. So we've constantly grown. Even in today's economy, we built two new schools this year. So um, it's growing, it's spreading, it's people coming from downtown Phoenix um, and all over the states and just kind of um, building homes and building families. And, and what we're realizing is that it's a young demographic. We're really, we forget that, you know, the longer we stay in this business, the younger our parents get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we're going after those 25 to 34-year-old parents who um, have a different way of communicating, have different needs. Um, they're part of that millennial generation, um, and their kids uh, are are raised to be aware of the choices that they have. It's not um, that community where you just eat school lunch because that's what I said. Mm-hmm. Um kids are involved in making those decisions. Um, there's a lot of local restaurants that um, talk about, you know, we're, we're a farming area in Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, 
and we have a lot of citrus, we have a lot of produce, and so we uh, there's a lot of local restaurants that have um, they really market fresh food made in front of you, um, different choices, and, and, and creating a whole experience about where does your food come from, what's in it, and making sure that you enjoy it while you eat it. So that's kind of what they're seeing outside of schools, and that's what we're having to compete with. Right, a, a, a foodie kind of town, and I understand it it's, it's kind of a whole foods town, too. You've got a, how many? At least one, right? We have several Whole Foods. Okay. Um, I, I mean, it, it's like which when you say I'm going to go to Whole Foods, the 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 answer is always which one. Right, right, right. <laughs> because they're they're all over the place. Okay. Um, it is kind of representative of that's the place you go. It kind of if you care about your family and what you're feeding them, is you go to Whole Foods. Right. Um, right. Even if you don't understand what you're buying, it's kind of like the buzzword around our community. Mm-hmm. So so Chandler really does sound like a lot of the better off towns and cities where the school district has elected to take some sites off the federal school meals programs um, mm-hmm. when they find that the new menus don't sell. Um, you know, it's it's actually not a lot of districts that have dropped out so far. The latest data... I think it's less than 1%, right? Yeah, it's it's actually um, 0.15%. Yeah. That's the US, <laughs> latest USDA data I have. Yeah. But th- those districts get a ton of press when they do it, right. which I imagine puts do. pressure to drop out um, on other low free reduced, you know, free reduced districts when they find themselves floundering financially. So I'm wondering if, if Chandler Unified has ever considered dropping out. Um, we have, I mean, the, the conversation has obviously come up, I think, with any district, but it's never been anything that we pursued um, seriously or wholeheartedly because we, as dietitians, believe in the nutrition regulations. We believe um, in serving healthy food to kids, and we've we've been doing this long before the regs came out. We had we had moved to whole grains, we had moved to low sodium products, we had moved to fresh fruits and vegetables, you know, a while ago, and made from scratch cooking, and we. We want a consistency among our district or among our schools. We have 45 different schools, and and I don't think it's fair for, you know, one school down the road to have a a different menu because they have a different demographic, Mm -hmm. and then you go a couple miles down the road, and that school has a completely different menu um, just because of what area they're located in. And we have a central kitchen, and we're developing a recipes from scratch. And, And number one, it's too hard to manage all of that. And number two... Which we can talk about. I don't. I don't think that the, the regulations have shown. You know that if, if you do it right and you invest in your recipes and you invest in good products and you present them well, it's not a food problem. It's an environment problem. Yeah, let's talk and, about that. <laughs> and, yeah. So you know, it, it, you can you can sit there and you can say you know if we go off the program and we serve whatever we want, the kids are going to love it, and it's going to be fantastic. And that's great in theory. But again, in our school district, we have 180 school days. So when you introduce you know, that new name brand that doesn't meet the regs, and that's fun for a couple weeks, after a while it becomes like wallpaper. You know, It's, almost, it's just another thing that you've got to make sure the kids in this generation, they want things that are new. They want things that are reimagined. They want to walk into lunch and, and wonder what's going to be served that day. So They'll get bored with that very quickly. Um, So I I don't think that theory works that going off the regs will improve your program. Yeah, I I don't know if you're aware that there was a really interesting article by um, blogger Dana Waldau and Beyond Cron on June 15th in which she reported on a number of districts that – 
had this experience when they dropped out. They they had an uptick in participation, and then and then it was just what you're saying. It turned out that the problem wasn't necessarily the food, and and then no. and now they're struggling uh, again. I'm going to post a link to that article on today's show page. Um, so, you know, let's talk about an, an environment. Like, what are what are the issues? Um, you know that that you're seeing. Um, <laughs> in well, let's start with the elementary uh, environment. Yeah. Well. I, I don't know where this all started from. I've been in uh, this business for 12 years now, and um, about maybe six months ago, I kind of had a uh, aha, aha moment where I was at a school, and um, I, I looked up on the on the wall, and it said, "This is a bully-free zone," which a lot of schools talk about. Mm-hmm. And so I'm watching the lunch environment, and I'm, I'm I'm not even paying attention to the to the line and the food because we've we've been working on that for a long time. I'm saying, what happens after you get the food? Well, at least in our district, and 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 they have the best intentions. And I don't want to knock administration. I don't want to knock principals or new needs, but it's very military style. You know, you you get your food, you sit down, you be quiet. A lot of our schools, they all face the same way. Um, there's a regulation on if they can get up or not. There's regulations on how loud they can be. Mm-hmm. There's regulations on how much they can talk. There's regulations on do they all get dismissed at once, even if they're not done with their food. Um, can you get up and get another fruit and vegetable if you're still hungry? I mean, these, these are all things about that, that really affect the food experience. So you have the greatest food in the world, but if you're stressed out and people are yelling at you mm-hmm. um, and you can't sit with your friends and you're just staring at a blank wall for 10 minutes, um, you know, trying to scarf down your food so that you can hurry up and go to recess before, you know, your your lunch aid makes you be dismissed. I mean, we've seen whistles. We've seen um, stoplights that say green, yellow, red, and everyone has to be quiet at red. Wow. And, you know, yeah. it, it gets, it, we've seen principal make them sit boy girl boy girl boy girl and and all of these things affect it it comes back to us as a Mm -hmm. nutrition program Mm -hmm. it doesn't come back to them Mm -hmm. and so you know we have 45 principals saying 45 different ways of serving serving lunch yet we're still serving the same food so when you look at it psychologically you could have like I, I told you on the phone we could have Bobby Flay back there cooking fresh food for each kid one at a time but if they're going to go leave and have a bad experience after that it doesn't matter the food that they have it's food is more social than it is anything right right it, it, you you have told me that you fantasized about inviting um, principals to a catered meal <laughs> and then basically you know uh, subjecting them to the kind of experience you just described i mean do you think that would help their perception of what your issues are well, I, I I tend to be a little bit bold, and I believe in, in kind of shock. <laughs> I, t- I tend to believe in kind of a shock value approach, um, because I think as adults we forget what it's like to be seven or eight years old. And uh, I, the idea that you're talking about, but I've been really trying to get my administration to approve of and say, all right, principals, we're you guys meet once a month. How about I come and I and I serve this amazing catered breakfast, mm-hmm. and um, you come hungry, you come ready, you come prepared. We're gonna have a good time, and they come in just like normal, and uh, it's time for breakfast. And then all of a sudden, it just clicks in, and me and my staff put on our orange vests and we put on our whistles, <laughs> and we make them get in alphabetical order and stand against the wall, boy, girl, boy, girl, 
and they come through the line and we rush them through and they all have to sit down and face the same way. They can't sit with their their friends. They they uh, have to be quiet. If they want to get up, they have to raise their hand and ask permission. Um, you know, we're going around and say, hurry, hurry, hurry. No, Please, don't do yeah. that. Yes, do that. And then, you know, just making a, it's the environment, recreating kind of what the cafeteria environment is. And then after 10 minutes, we say, I don't care if you're done or not. Stand up. You have to leave and give me your tray. Um, and then at the end, just saying, and not in a jerky way, but just saying, you know, how did that make you feel? Uh-huh. You were ready for this amazing breakfast, and you're so used to coming to these meetings and socializing and reconnecting and having some time away from your school where you can, um, you know, relax and, and have a good time, yet... I just I just totally ruined it by by changing the environment and you, and principals probably wouldn't even be able to tell me what I serve for breakfast because they'd be so concerned about the environment and, yeah. and the stress that they're feeling and that this was so different from what they're used to. Right, right. So you you've come up with a term called quality consumption time and yeah, you're QCT. doing you're doing yeah so qct and you're develop mm-hmm. you're developing some research around that can you talk and this is this is with regard to the elementary uh dining area can you right. tell us what that's about well I, I i guess i get a little um frustrated when you know people say give these general blanket statements of no they have 25 minutes for lunch mm-hmm. well not really, because that that's saying that the teacher's on time, that they're getting them there the exact time they need to be, um, and that they're coming through the line um, and everything's flowing perfectly. But if you actually measure it and have, you know, if you have a kid that gets their tray and they actually have to go and get fruits and vegetables and then actually sit down, find their seat, open their little sport kit or fork and knife, and then open their milk carton, then the clock starts. Mm -hmm. Now we're actually in eating time. So starting now, you know, they might have braces, they might be small, and we're giving them whole apples, or, you know, it's difficult for them to use a fork and knife. And then are they rushed? Are they being attended to? And then so by the time they, that clock starts to when they either leave for recess on their own or they're forced to leave, how much time do they really have to eat so that mm-hmm. we can stop saying, no, they have 25 minutes for lunch, no, they have 30 minutes for lunch? We might find, and we're doing this survey with thousands of kids, mm-hmm. we might actually find that it's five minutes that you actually have to sit there and consume your food or seven minutes. I don't know what it's going to be, but my theory is is that's going to be really short because by the time you sit there and get settled and get everything opened and get ready and and you're not even socializing, um, how much time are you actually, you know, how much quality time do you have to consume that food that we work so hard to present those students yeah, with every yeah. day. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that survey outcome. Do you know when you're going to have that data ready to go? Yeah, we uh, we are starting actually today. We, we finished up uh, all of the surveys uh, last week and making sure that it all made sense, and we're going to have uh, dietetic interns and students going out to the sites to, um, we're going to have the objective data mm-hmm. of, you know, how much time do they actually have to sit down, how much time does it take them to open up their packaging, um, how much time do they, you know, f- figuring out what that QCT is, and then we're going to have a subjective, subjective part to it 
where we're asking the kids, how, you know, as, as you're leaving, how do you feel right now, one to five? Right. And, and then also, are you still hungry, one to five? Mm-hmm. And just figuring out who's, and, and if you're still hungry, why are, you, why are you leaving? Well, it might be recess, or it might be somebody's making me leave, or my friends um, had a lunchbox, and they're already done, and I don't want to miss out on the conversation anymore, so I'm just going to throw my food away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's all these things that we're going to figure out. But, uh, yeah, that's starting actually today. And uh, yeah, we're going to have, I think, a few thousand um, surveys by the end of this semester so we can start figuring out what our patterns great. are. That's great. I, yeah, and, and for those who are confused by what you're saying, you are actually I'm in sorry, session right now. Explaining it, correctly? it is No, no, no. It is July 27th. And I just want to point out that you are actually in session, that you have this unusual um, system in yeah. place. So you're, you're at the beginning of your school year. Um, it's the second week of school, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's another experiment you've been conducting um, that you call the Nutrition Promoters Program. Can mm-hmm. you briefly, and this is also elementary, can you describe briefly what that's about? Yeah, I presented on this at uh, the annual national conference in Salt Lake a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was amazing results, but basically the theory was this this came out of the same experience of the bully free zone, where we said, hey, yeah, I know that kids need to be kind of you know directed, but I feel like maybe we're kind of bullying them and we're telling them not to bully each other. Mm-hmm. So we had a theory and we went to a principal and said, for you know the next nine weeks. Let your lunch aides work for us, and we'll call them nutrition promoters rather than lunch aides. And so we sat down from them. It was very easy for about 10, 15 minutes, and we said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to walk around the lunchroom. We're going to give you email, nutrition education. We're going to encourage you, and you're going to walk around, and you're going to have a shirt that says nutrition promoters. You're going to have little incentive prizes. And when you see good behavior, kids eating their food, especially fruits and vegetables, on their own, reward them. Mm-hmm. Or if they eat, um, if they don't want to eat broccoli, then tell them why broccoli is good for them. What superpowers is it going to give them? Mm-hmm. So they were encouragers in our lunchroom. They're already there. They they have to be there. Let's let's help them promote our program. And so we did that for. Um, uh, nine weeks, and we measured the before and the after, and everything stayed the same. The menu stayed the same, um, and the only thing that we did was had those people dress differently. They're mm-hmm. called nutrition promoters. We made morning announcements, and then we created little trading cards that had vegetable and fruits and vegetable superheroes that they would hand out. So if kids ate fruits and vegetables, at least half of it, they would get rewarded. And in just that nine weeks, we saw an increase in 60% vegetable consumption. Wow. We saw an increase of almost 30% fruit consumption. Mm-hmm. And then here was the backside theory that we have theorized but didn't really want to publicize, is that our meal participation mm-hmm. went up almost 20%. Wow. So yeah. what what that shows is that the menu didn't change, yet something fun was happening at lunch. Mm-hmm. And those kids that normally either brought their lunch or didn't eat with us at all, all of a sudden wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. And so that, yeah. that increased our meal participation, all because we just put a different shirt and called someone differently and kind of just changed their attitude and said, rather than be, you know, a yeller and a, um, you know, a military-style approach, be a friend, be a role model, and have um, – and help them. 
Yeah. And yeah. they loved it. And the adults said, I love coming home and saying, I'm a nutrition promoter rather than, hey, I'm a lunch aide and then right. I go do recess. It's fun for the staff, too. Well, this is like, you know, classic smarter lunchrooms movement strategy um, that you've customized right. for your dining rooms. That's that's great. And and then quickly, Wes, um, we're going to go to station break in a minute, but I, I want to I, I get to the high schools um, because mm-hmm. you've made some really significant um, design innovations in some of your high school dining rooms. Um, they look like um, really hip food courts, um, and and they've got like different, um, almost like restaurants with 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 cool mm-hmm. names. I forgot what they are, but you'll tell us. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I, I'd, I'd like to know like how you came up with that design. There was a consult with students, right? Yeah, I mean, students. Part of it is doing a lot of research outside of the school and figuring out what students are seeing and what are they eating. You know, mm-hmm. most students they're getting eighty percent of their calories outside of school. So eighty percent of the time, what are they seeing? So we went to local malls, we went to local restaurants, and we just observed what their menus looked like and what would happen. And it, and we realized that we couldn't bring in outside brands that just you know that just diminishes our our value as mm-hmm. being a, a school nutrition program. So we said, hey, let's develop an in-house brand. It may not mean anything, but each window will be customized with a different theme. Mm-hmm. And then over time, they'll start to build that brand loyalty because they're going to see it so often. And so it became a food court style where if you want a made-to-fresh-order sub, you're going to go to the Fresh Factory. Mm-hmm. And you're going to go there, and you get to pick out everything just like you do at Subway. If you want um, Mexican food, you're going to go to Comida Buena, and we themed that out, and it's just like Chipotle. You're going to get everything made fresh in front of you. Um, and so we did that with six different themes, and um, students really love it because it's like they get to choose from six different restaurants every day. Um, and and then we created, you know, kind of a food court-style environment with the seating mm-hmm. um, so that they feel – the goal is to feel like you're not at school. Right. That's the goal. Right, right. And I, and I should add that each of these these separate um, kind of restaurants have their own design concept too. You have logos attached to each of the, uh-huh. the different brands, and what they're selling is USDA reimbursable meals, but with style. It's just it's just brilliant. Um, so Wes, we're going to pause here for a station break, and when we okay. come back, let's talk more about marketing. Um, you're doing some exceptionally creative work to draw in students and parents, and I really want people to hear about that. Um, This is Inside School Food. Today's conversation is about cutting-edge strategies for meeting participation challenges in the well-off, food-savvy city of Chandler, Arizona. This is Keto. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane 5. 
Welcome back to Inside School Food. I am so pleased to have Wes Delbridge from Chandler Unified School District on the line today. You know, Wes, you've been on my radar for like months. Um, <laughs> we we first met over a conversation about your custom menu app, um, and that's when I first knew I was talking to a school food service director who's really, really serious about marketing. Um, so you have your own app, and I'm wondering why did Chandler Unified introduce its own app instead of con- contracting with Nutrislice like everybody else? Well, it's a very boring answer, but <laughs> it is it is a true answer, and the answer is it didn't exist yet. Ah, so okay. when we started building it, when I had the design idea, it was about 3 in the morning one night, and I could actually see this app in my head, and I was you know, like a crazy person, you know, putting my hands up in the air and pretending I was moving around in this app. And I I quickly went to my notes and started designing what I thought would be interesting. And there was really nothing on the market. So this was about four to five years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I tried to find a company that had maybe a template or something. There was nothing out there that existed. So we went with an app development company and said, let's just build our own. And so we literally designed it from the ground up. We wrote all the code. Um, everything is custom. And uh, by the time we got done, you know, it took about a year to design and build. And by the time we launched it, then we had some other companies coming out with some templates. Mm-hmm. And um, so we thought, well, we're on the right track. But uh, the beauty of it is that we can change it however we need to. So. We're not dependent upon a company to, you know, develop new technology or to develop some sort of communication tool, push notifications, um, connecting to your lunch money account for parents, things like that. We can automatically change that as needed. Mm -hmm. And so... Again, we just said, hey, this is where people are going. Um, the average person spends, um, ch- checks their phone every six minutes, so uh, 150 times a day. We need, we need to get on the phone, and that's, that's kind of where we, we moved and we developed and we launched the um, app in the Apple Store, and then we launched it for Android the following year, mm-hmm. and it's, we've had over 10,000 downloads worldwide, so um, it's going pretty well, and uh, we're able to customize and change it as we need to. So um, we're hoping to further develop that into including uh, cooking demos, making recipes at home. We wanted to develop something that was more just, here's what's on the menu for the day. It wanted to feel like an app that you were getting something out of. So how to keep your family healthy, how to make dinners at home, how to get your family exercising um, when it's hot or when it's cold, just things that are in the moment to make, make parents feel like we're a partner um, in helping them keep their kids healthy. Right. And because it's yours, you, you really can do these add-ons. Well, one of those 10,000 downloads was me, and I've been playing <laughs> with it. And I, I so I'm going to keep it on my phone. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what else you're, you're going to do with it going forward. Um, and then <laughs> there's your website, your blog, your Pinterest boards, your Facebook presence. I mean, we could, we could take the whole half hour today just reviewing what you're doing on the web and social media because it's, it's huge. Could you, you know, maybe just take a stab at summing up your your approach? Yeah, so we came into the approach, you know, we've made a lot of mistakes, of course. And so when districts call and say, hey, what do I do with social media? I say, well, here's what you don't do first. But early on, we've, we, we adopted the attitude of we're not going to censor. 
you know, if there's inappropriate language, yes, that's something that's different. But if somebody's getting on there and trashing our program or wanting answers or maybe they're misinformed, we're going to address every single issue. Mm-hmm. And I think what happened um, is if, if you talk with our, our followers on social media is that they really appreciated that because we weren't hiding anything. We weren't masking anything. We weren't deleting their comments. And when they had a good point about something, we would say, you know what, you're right. We mm-hmm. screwed up on that. We need to fix it. And um, we were just, it was just having an honest, real conversation with our parents. And so we said, it's not just going to be about putting out a commercial every day because parents and and adults and kids are just inundated with commercials all day long. And we adopted this, what we call a eight to one or a 10 to one rule, depending on where you're going. But for every one commercial that we put out there for ourselves about our program, we're going to offer eight different resources or ten different resources to help that person that's a Facebook follower, either how to lose weight at home, how to like the things I talked about, like keeping your kids active, mm-hmm. how to help with homework, um, things that are in the news about antibiotic-free or clean labels or what does this mean. Um, sometimes the best post we have out there is, hey, parents, next year we're thinking of doing this, what do you guys think? And do they and respond? It, go ahead. I'm sorry, do they respond? Yes, those are the biggest responses. Yeah, People yeah. love to comment. I mean, within two hours, you have 60 comments. Wow. And so mm-hmm. our, our goal is that um, we respond to every comment, whether it's thank you, or we're looking into it, or we're pursuing that, um, or we'll get back to you. Uh, we we make sure that we address every comment. We've had some great success. We've had parents um, that were our biggest, I, I don't want to say enemies, but just really knocking our program. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've, we've talked to them, um, and I direct message one, and I said, hey, how about you come in the building and meet with us, and let me discuss our challenges and our issues. And I didn't think that he would show up and he did. Yeah. And so yeah. we had this local parent show up, and um, we met with them for two hours. We took him on a tour of our facility, and now he's one of our biggest fans, and, and, our, and his kids eat lunch with us, um, not every day, but almost every day. And mm-hmm. um, he feels like he has a say. And then there was one parent that just said, you know, my, my children – most of the time I pack their lunch, but at least I have a place to go to get my questions answered, mm-hmm. um, she said, and I just really appreciate that. So social media, we feel early on, we're going to make it a dialogue. We're going to let them have their voice, and we're going to be listeners rather than shouting from a megaphone how great school lunch is. We want to hear what their perception is, what their thoughts are, kind of assess what we need to do, and then address those issues as we need to address them. Right. And as you pointed out earlier, you do have a relatively young group of parents, so they, mm-hmm. they're they really into this kind of interaction. Um, and, and, and another thing I just want to point out, and I, I am going to encourage listeners to explore your website because, as I said, there's just a huge amount of material on there. You've put a, a, an enormous amount of effort into it. But one of the things that, that really drew me in um, at the beginning of my exploration were these videos that you have uh, about all kinds of things. And they're, they're very slick. They're really inviting. Um, they're friendly. And I'm wondering, you know, how you've been able to pull that off. You, you've done it on a very low budget, and they're impressive. Well, I think that a lot of times in our world, we, we see videos and we think that we need this huge production value associated with it, and uh, it's going to take a long time to make, and that's not really the way it works anymore. And you have to think about where your resources are. And so this all kind of started was we had a dietetic intern uh, a long time ago, 
and she said that her boyfriend um, was a in the film and production at Arizona State University. And so I contacted him, and I said, hey, you know, what do you do? And he said, you know, I, I make videos. That's what I want to do. I'm a, I make film. And I said, would you come, and would you make a couple of videos for us? And he said, absolutely. I need things for my portfolio. Uh, and so you yeah. can find these resources, these students. Um, some of you might have high school students that are already in film and TV production, and they have cameras, and they have editing technology, and they need projects. They need things to work on. And they are amazing at the design, and they'll give you, you know, they know how to talk to that age group. Mm -hmm. And so we work with them on, you know, here's the message we want to get out. And they say, well, we could film this, and we could do it this way, and we could transition into this. And they can crank it out in a week or two with this new editing, you know, software that Mm -hmm. they have. And then you have it. You have a resource. And I would just recommend, you know, keep them short, less than, you know, I would say about two to three minutes, then you start losing people's uh, attention right, span, and then, and just get to the point, and be personal, and tell your story, but seek out people around you, you know, your your students, your um, high school students, your maybe uh, local businesses that are trying to get an upstart, uh, and just say, hey, you know, we just want a two or three minute video, let's partner up so that you have something to put on your website, something to put on your portfolio. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, we've gotten great success from that without spending a lot of money. Yeah, it's, it's very creative. And, and you're you're actually not the first food service director to come on the show to to recommend that strategy. Um, we've seen you know some some beautiful videos. So I you know I encourage people to think about that. And as you said, it doesn't necessarily even have to be um, college programs. You've got high school talent. You you might be able to tap yeah. into. So and people relate to videos. I mean, when you're reading yes. text on a website, it gets boring. It becomes Becomes like a brochure, but if people can see your staff and their faces and the story behind your food and the story behind your efforts, you know that's what they really connect with, and that's why YouTube is so popular. Is because people can connect with a two-minute video mm-hmm. um, when they have to read a bunch, or you know they, they lose interest, um, or they can have come up with whatever it is in their own imagination. But when they can actually see it happening, we're really moving into this generation of being very visual learners and mm-hmm. connecting on a visual level. Right, right. So um, last but hardly least, um, <laughs> I, I want to talk about a project you just launched. Um, yeah. it, you, it's called the Clean Label Initiative, and you're, you're venturing into some kind of daring territory with this. So first, <laughs> so first of all, just tell us what it is. Well, okay. So we have been preaching you know, that we have dietitians on staff, that we make food from scratch for a long time now, and that we have a central kitchen. And it's still, it's made its headway, but it really hasn't given the the industry in our neighborhood at least a huge impact because there's still that perception of school lunch out there that we're fighting on a national level. Um, it depends on where parents come from. It depends on their experience as a kid. It depends on what story they heard in the news that day. And so... We looked at the market with like Nestle and General Mills and Panera Bread, and we said, "Wow, everybody's kind of cleaning up their labels. Mm-hmm. Even these, even place, even low budget places like McDonald's yes. are going antibiotic free. Why are they doing that?" And we did the research and figured out that people, number one, care what's in their food, and they care about the quality of ingredients. It doesn't matter what income level you're talking about. So we said, "We need to do something big on the school level." Um, and in school nutrition, we tend to be 20 years behind the marketplace. And we said, no, we're going to keep up with the marketplace this time. Mm-hmm. And so we said, 
we rather than just say we're eliminating these labels, it has to relate to parents in the real world status. And so if you just say, hey, we're getting rid of these 10 ingredients, that sounds nice. It's a good headline, but they don't really relate to it. So we said, again, and you mentioned at the beginning of the up, uh, the top of the program mm-hmm. was, who who's doing a good job of this? And we said Whole Foods is. They yeah. have 72 ingredients that they don't carry on their shelves. Mm-hmm. Now, can we go to 72 right away? No, not the way with commodities is, not the way with a lot of things that we're using, but we can phase into it. Mm -hmm. So phase one is getting rid of 30 of those 72 ingredients that we don't feel um, adds any value to our students' health or future success. It's not saying we think these things are going to cause cancer. We think that these things are going to be detrimental. We're just saying we we don't feel like it adds any value. And so we want to build that trust with parents by saying we're, and we say, we're cleaning up our act. And and that really has related to parents by saying, wow, if you're going to get on the same level as Whole Foods, I'm going to really rethink what I'm packing in my school, my my child's lunch every day. And I might just say, hey, you're eating school lunch today because it's as healthy as Whole Foods when we get there. Yeah, so, that's very powerful. I mean, I'm aware of other districts that are, are developing these disallowed or avoid, you know, ingredients lists. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. Portland, Oregon comes to mind, New York City, um, mm-hmm. Montgomery County, Maryland. But this linking to Whole Foods is a very powerful marketing tool, but it's also really ambitious. I mean, you know... Let, let's start out by saying, like, let, what are, like, a couple of the most challenging clean label goals that you're staring down right now? Well, I mean, right now as we're phasing in, um, you know, we have to decide, you know, after, uh, after at the end of this year, we have to get rid of 30 ingredients. So we're mm-hmm. phasing out 30 ingredients. So when it comes to that, let's say we're talking about dairy. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a local dairy that we're great partners with, and they've been serving our district for years, and they do antibiotic-free, mm-hmm. yet their chocolate milk still has um, an artificial co- uh, flavor in it. Mm-hmm. So... If after this next year, if we're saying, you know, we really need you to remove that, we really need you to remove that, if they decide not to, then that's going to be a challenge for us to say, hey, we're probably going to have to pay more for dairy or we just don't do chocolate milk or we compromise and we just let the artificial flavors in. So we have several options, but that's going to be the difficult part is manufacturers and big food companies and people that we depend upon Mm -hmm. coming along with us on this journey. And we've seen some of it already where they're removing some preservatives. They're removing some of those things that they don't even themselves understand why is in their label. Um, But if at at a certain point, if the food manufacturers in, in school nutrition can't keep up with it, then it might start increasing our food costs or it might start making it a little bit more challenging. So um, artificial flavors are going to be definitely something that needs to happen sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, uh, you know, making sure that uh, looking into, because we have an in-house bakery, dough conditioners, a a lot of people don't even know what's in a dough conditioner, but Mm -hmm. a lot of them, you know, it's not great ingredients. And and if you really want to have a a high-quality product in a bakery item, you sometimes need that dough conditioner or that dough strengthener. So making sure that we're able to keep up with the quality of that because sometimes those ingredients are unavoidable. So what do we do? Do you know, how do do we make it stronger in a more natural way? Right, right. so yeah. these things are on my mind constantly. It, it's not. It is. It is a, um, a very like you said. It's a, it's ambitious. 
<laughs> and it's challenging. Artificial sweeteners, um, MSG, those have been easy to get rid of. Yeah. Um, but the uh, you know the things that you you know chocolate milk that's a huge staple in school lunch. It's saying if you can't keep up with that, then you know where do we go and what do we do with that? Well, good luck with that. Like I said, <laughs> it's ambitious. <laughs> um, so I you know I I think that um, Chandler Unified is definitely on the the leading edge with this, as with so much of the other work we talked about today. And and, and I'm convinced that clean label is going to become increasingly important to students and parents and consequently to school nutrition programs like yours. So it's a trend we're looking forward to watching on Inside School Food. Awesome. Yeah. So, Wes, it was so great having you on the show today. Of course. Um, especially a, given that time. you're in your, like, the beginning of your second week of school. So thank you for joining <laughs> us at such a busy time. Um, you've been listening to Inside School Food on the Heritage Radio Network. Our guest today was Wesley Delbridge, Food and Nutrition Director for Chandler Unified School District in Chandler, Arizona. Um, I'm Laura Stanley, and I just want to say I recently renewed my Heritage Radio membership. If you love the show, please consider supporting us. You can sign up at heritageradionetwork.org. Just look for the Donate button. Uh, today's episode will be archived there and at insideschoolfood.com and iTunes and Stitchers uh, and so forth. Um, if you want to look at resource links to today's conversations, those are, can be found at InsideSchoolFood.com. Next week, we return to New England to talk about sustainable local seafood in the schools there. And I look forward to welcoming you back. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 